Thank you very much for reading our passages. Well, we've been going through a series over the last little bit in the book of Acts, and we're specifically looking at the start of the church. And I think it's really interesting to kind of spend some time here and and really look at it. And and the way that I'm trying to look at this is, what was the church doing back then? And, And really, how does it apply to today? How do we as the church, how do we continue this story that God is telling through his church? And it's kind of an interesting one. I, I'm often drawn to these little parallels that I'm seeing here and there and there and there. And I think one of the things that we're going to get to is that Stephen right now, he is being dragged in this passage before this court. And I think, like, like let's be honest, being in, in kind of a court case scenario is kind of an intriguing thing. We have movies that often talk about courtroom dramas and even in, like, Life. We recently, uh, in society, we just had a huge courtroom drama play out before us, right? Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And, and it's, I don't know about you guys, but I found myself like time and time again getting sucked in to finding out what is going on. Am I the only one? Is it just me? <laughs> but like, I just like found myself time and time again. And like, I wouldn't even necessarily be like looking for it, but it would like pop up on my social media feed and I'd be like, all right, what's going on? And like deep dive into it. And all of a sudden I'm like spending a half hour finding out what's going on. And I mean, I don't even necessarily, I mean, I like Johnny Depp. He's a good actor, but I mean, I don't, I'm not really attached to him. And the same can be said about Amber Heard. I'm sure she's a great actress. I haven't seen a lot of her movies, but it was just so interesting to find this like big narrative being told to us as society, right? And it's really in the midst of this really huge thing that's going on in society where women are beginning to speak up and say, we are not going to take these kind of things anymore. And so this court case comes on the end of this and you're, you're really drawn into thinking, okay, is Johnny Depp, is he actually being accused properly? Did he actually abuse Amber Heard? And, and Johnny Depp, throughout the whole case, if you weren't paying attention, was refuting it time and time again. And it's so interesting in the States because really what it came down to was about their character. And are you defaming the other person? And I found out of everything in the court case, between all the different things that were being brought up towards all the way to the end of when we finally had the verdict closed, the big things were the defaming. And because of the defaming, Johnny Depp lost out on X work and X work and this work and that work, and it added up to a huge amount of money that Amber Heard had to pay. But in the same respect, Johnny Depp also was accused of defaming and got it, like, she won that part of her trial. And he had to pay a quite large sum of money, not as, not the same amount, but still had to pay it. And really what was being told by the states and by, by court cases like this is that our character matters. In the states, time and time again, these defamation cases are huge, big deals. Because your character really matters. And I think one of the interesting things is our character can't really be proven when we're going through good times. It's easy to have a good kind of mindset and to be happy-go-lucky and to just kind of be good when things are going good. 
But when we get pushed up against the wall, when, when things really start to tumble down, when pieces aren't going the way we want it to, all of a sudden, who we are, that character piece, really comes to the forefront. How are you going to respond when all of a sudden you're in the middle of driving on the hen day and for the umpteenth time you get cut in front of? Are you going to start blaring your horn? Are you going to start saying some words you probably shouldn't say? What happens when all of a sudden you get into an argument with a family member, with your spouse? How are you going to handle that? Those are the moments, I think, above anything else, that our character really shines through. And today, really, what I want to focus on and highlight is, is how is, how is God, how God is not only with us in the midst of the storms of life, but how God can use our witness during trials, during difficult times, to really leave a profound mark upon others. And I think that profound mark really only happens when our character is being tested, when we're going through some not good things. One of the stories that kind of often comes to my mind in the Gospels is, is when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. You know, they, they've journeyed together for quite a while. They've done some pretty big highlight ministry things. And after a season of this, they go down into this boat and they begin to cross this lake. And in the midst of that crossing, you guys remember the storms get really bad. And all of a sudden, the, the disciples who are manning this boat begin to get very fearful. And they're starting to like kind of stress out and panic. And they're looking around and wondering. And again, like these people, the disciples, some of them are experienced fishermen. This isn't their first time on a boat. They know how to handle a boat. They know how to handle a boat during good weather and also during bad weather. And so I think that this is a particularly bad storm that is happening. And I think one of the most interesting things that takes place in this story is that the disciples finally go to Jesus, and where's Jesus in the midst of this? He's sleeping, right? And I find, like, how true is that for our life, for my life? When, when I'm going through some difficult times, I start to look around, and I'm like, God, where are you in the midst of this? And in my mind, I'm like, God, you're not even here. Where are you in this? God, are you, are you present? And the disciples, they look around and like, God, what is going on? Jesus, are you seeing this? And they literally go and like wake Jesus up and like, Jesus, are you aware of what's going on? And Jesus wakes up and, you know, he looks around and, and he sees the storm. And what's his response in the midst of it? He says, okay, let's calm the storm. Let's actually deal with it. He says, just relax. Like, I got this. And calms the storm. But what I find in, in particularly interesting is he doesn't, after that, after he calms the storm, he doesn't go to the disciples and says, man, you know, I'm so sore. I was sleeping. I was just tired. I was teaching before this, you know. And so I just really needed that quick power nap, okay? I apologize for the rough storms, but you know what? We're made it through. It's going to be okay. That's not what he says at all. He looks at the disciples and he's like, what, like, guys, do you not have faith? Do you not understand that I'm with you? You are going to be fine, yo, you of little faith. Guys, relax. Relax. But I wonder, I wonder if in the midst of that, the disciples missed it. 
I wonder if they missed this opportunity that Jesus, again, he was present. He is God, and he's fully God and fully man. And so he knew what was going to take place, what was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise to him when he saw the storm. It, it didn't catch him off guard. He knew that this was going to happen. And so I wonder if he was giving the disciples a moment of saying, just experience life as you will when I leave. You're going to be on your own. Can you still trust me when I'm not actively with you? And I wonder if the disciples, honestly, I really do, I wonder if they missed it. They missed what God was doing, what Jesus was doing in this. Because I think far too often when we go through storms in life, sometimes that storm doesn't actually get calmed when we pray. We just have to kind of sit in the midst of it. We just have to kind of deal with the storm. So what if Jesus, when he was in the boat with the disciples, what if he actually, instead of calming the storm, what if he didn't calm the storm? What if this story in Matthew 4, verse 35 and onward, what if he actually just didn't calm the storm? I think that would be very true to life. And and really, I think it would be very true to what Stephen experiences. Jesus says to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? That's what he said to the disciples. And Stephen, as we had read to us, we skipped over Stephen's rebuttal. I'll summarize that for us very quickly here in a moment. But I wonder if Stephen actually did what the disciples couldn't do in that moment. When the storm was coming, when, when people were accusing him of everything, when, when he could have asked for God, could have prayed, God, please remove this barrier. God, help me in the midst of this. I wonder if rather him standing firm and continuing to be a witness in the midst of this storm, I wonder if that's what the disciples missed. I think Jesus knew as he was with the disciples that they were going to have to face so many, so many storms, that they were going to have to go through so many different things. And I wonder if he desired for them, as much as he desires for us today, that we would have faith that would persevere through the midst of the storms of life, that we would be confident that he is with us. And I think the story of Stephen, as we're going to see, shows us this powerful truth that Stephen exemplified that God is with us in the midst of the storm. And so Stephen, if we were to kind of go through his story, we read and we had read to us that all of a sudden the, the, the church is spreading the gospel. This is where we kind of left off. You know, Pastor Adam talked about Annas, uh, Ananias and Sapphira last week, and we saw what kind of happened when they uh, said that they gave all the money to the church. And, and we're making these promises that they were going to give all the money to the church, but they actually held back some. And all of a sudden, God struck them down. And then the church continues to spread and go from there. And I highlight that because I'm going to bring it up in a second. But the church is continuing to spread. And Stephen is actually a part of that story. He is spreading the gospel. He is spreading the message. And he's doing so much so that all of a sudden, these people, they see him spreading the word. They see him spreading the gospel. They see him talking about Jesus. And they don't like that because Jesus is, is, is going against their way of life. He is teaching them something new. He is the promised fulfillment of the Messiah. And these people didn't want that to be the case. 
They didn't want that to be the case. They couldn't see it. They couldn't understand that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And so Jesus is being proclaimed by Stephen. And they see this and they're like, we don't like that. Let's stop this. We need to stop this. And so they bring about false witnesses that go before and they drag Stephen and these false witnesses give a false statement that G- that Stephen is proclaiming that the law doesn't matter anymore. That Moses, the one who gave the law, that his law isn't really having the same hold as it once did. In fact, he's also saying, the, the, one of the statements is that Stephen is saying that where you worship doesn't matter because God is everywhere. And they're actively saying, no, no, you need to be in the temple to really experience God's presence. And then finally, they're, they're looking at Stephen and they're seeing that he is proclaiming Jesus, that Jesus is God. And for them, that is not going to happen. They're not going to believe that. They're not going to allow that to continue to be spread. Because if Jesus is God, then who did they crucify? And so in the midst of this, Stephen is brought before. These accusations go out. And Stephen, standing before them, has an opportunity. Has an opportunity. He can choose to refute those things and say, well, I I didn't really say that. Here's what I said. Or he could choose to kind of just completely step down and say, I I actually don't believe that. Because Stephen knows how powerful these things are that they're bringing before him. They know that, Stephen knows that if, if they hear him say that those, that is what he was preaching, that he believes Jesus is God, that they may kill him, or they may absolutely brutalize him. And Stephen, in the midst of these accusations and everything that's being thrown, he chooses to stand up. He chooses to live out what he was preaching. He chooses to continue to profess in Jesus. And he continues to profess what God has been doing. And so if we were to read the section that we kind of skipped over, Stephen goes through all of this. He talks about Moses, and he says, Moses, really, if you look at his story, it's a precursor to the Messiah. He is talking about how he is preparing the way that he actually is an example of Jesus. He's a rejected rescuer of his people. Moses is a rejected rescuer. And then he goes and, and Stephen talks about Joseph, how Joseph also is a rejected rescuer. And he talks about David and, and, and he continues to like just point after point after point highlight towards Jesus. And through this, I think one of the amazing things about Stephen's story is time and time again, we see how God is at work through Stephen, how he is actually present with him, like Jesus was present in the boat with the disciples. And the very first thing that we can take away from Stephen, Stephen's martyrdom is this, is that Jesus is with us in the storms. No matter what we go through in life, Jesus is with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And Stephen, one of the like most interesting things, and, and we had it read this morning, is that all of a sudden as Stephen begins to kind of defend himself and give these statements as to why he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, his face begins to glow. And, and for all of us who are reading this, we should be kind of pointed back to one of the people that is being talked about through this rebuttal, 
We should be looking and be reminded of Moses. Because Moses, when he encountered God, his face shone and glowed. And so even those who are in the courtroom, even those who are gathered to bring all these statements against him, they see this. They see Stephen, his face is glowing, and they should be reminded as well of Moses in the midst of this. But they're so angry, and they just want their sense of justice to happen. And so they push past it and completely ignore it. But I think that his face glowing, I think, again, it's just a very visual reminder that Jesus, that God is with us, as God was with Stephen in the midst of the storm. And in Luke 21, verse 15, I think it says that God will actually provide for us words and wisdom that none of our adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And really, that's what Stephen is doing as he is giving his defense before all the people that are gathered time and time again. We read it in there that it says that all of a sudden the people who he is that are arguing against him, they can't stand up to him. His wisdom, the words that he is saying, they can't refute it. They can't go against it. And I think for us, guys, like when we are actually actively living out our testimony, when we are saying before others what we believe, when we are sharing God with others, God's going to give us the words. And I think that's one of the tough things because sometimes we get so worked up in our own mind when we're with people that we don't know what to say, that we're stressed out that what if they ask a question that I don't have the answer to? But really, we're called, as Christians, to live out our faith before others, to actually share the gospel with all that we encounter, much like they did in the book of Acts. That's how the early church started, was spreading the gospel. And at its key, that's what we as a church are called to do as well. As Christians, that's what we are called to do, is to share the word of God with others. And I know, like, it it can be so stressful, and it can be hard, because again, sometimes we think, like, but who am I to tell people about Jesus? I I don't have all the words. I'm still trying to figure out my faith, so how can I, like, tell people? And what if they ask me a question that I don't have the answer to? Well, Jesus in Luke 21, verse 15, gives us the answer. He will give us words and wisdom. He will provide for us what we need to say And that's what he does for Stephen as well. And finally, towards the end, when Stephen is about to die, as the stones are coming coming flying at him, we read about how the heavens open up and how Stephen actually sees Jesus standing before the Father. And I love the description uh, in one of my commentaries that I'm I'm just going to paraphrase. But I think sometimes when we read stories like this in scripture, it, it, it can be kind of hard for us to fully understand because I don't, not a lot of us have visions. We don't always necessarily see what is being kind of told in scripture. Sometimes we don't have the same, uh, we don't have the same like parallel stories as the people in scripture. We don't have the same experiences as they do. And so when we read a very powerful vision like this, like Stephen seeing the heavens open up, we're, we kind of wonder, at least I know I do, what does that mean? Is he actually seeing this? Is, is God actually opening the heavens and allowing for him to be kind of revealed? And in, in the commentary of Teach the Text, teach the, text it, the writer provides this description like this. 
It's not necessarily that God actively like opened the heavens and revealed himself to all that would look up as if a physical place that heaven exists in the sky just beyond the clouds. Rather, it is more like when you go onto a summit at the very top of a mountain and clouds are beginning to cover the entire area. And as you're walking, you have to be careful where you walk because you don't want to misstep. And you can barely even see the people in front of you, never mind anything else surrounding you. And so you walk carefully step by step. But then a gust of wind blows in and it blows the clouds away. And for a moment, as when the clouds disperse, you can see what's in front of you. You can see the person that you are actually following. You can see them quite clearly. And not just the person, you, be, you can begin to see the surrounding area. And even more than that, you can begin to see the trees that are going down the mountain and down into the valley. You can begin to see the houses that are down below and the stream that's off in the distance as well. Visions like this is God allowing people to see the spiritual realm. God allowing Stephen to not only know that he is with him through kind of a faith, but to actively see it. And I think it's also important to note what Stephen sees. Stephen sees Jesus standing before the Father as the Father sits on the throne And really what we should be noting from that is that Jesus is getting ready to welcome Stephen into his presence. That Jesus is before the Father giving testimony in word and talking about the deeds that Stephen is doing so that when Stephen comes before the Father, that God is welcoming him in and Jesus is there pulling him alongside into the presence of God. What more of an encouraging thing could happen to Stephen as he knows what he is saying is about to get him killed? But even as he stands or lays or whatever position he is in, as people surround him and gather stones and begin chucking the stones at him until he's going to die, or as the scriptures say, as he's about to sleep, that God's presence is just there in the midst of it, in the midst of the darkest moments. It's a tough thing to choose to be a witness, especially around people that are not going to take it well. It can be really tough to actually hold true to what we believe when people around us are saying how stupid it is to believe in Jesus. I have a lot of friends that are in school right now, a lot of my students and and, and a lot of the young adults that I get to spend time with. They talk about their experience going to school and how dangerous it can be, how how social suicidal it can be when they try to profess Jesus. And I think for those of us who work at a workplace, it can be just as bad. We get told when we go into a workplace that we're not supposed to talk about our faith. And sometimes the social cues of us sharing our testimony at a time when we think it is appropriate can even also be dangerous. Because we don't want to offend the person across from us. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want 
whatever they believe to be minimalized. We don't want to actually offend them. But sharing God's word, saying that Jesus is the only way, is offensive. But I think it's comforting to note that Jesus is with us in the midst of that. That he is going to give us the words to say. That he's going to give us wisdom. Some of the biggest highlights for me is when I hear my students talk about how they lived out their faith before their friends. How they chose to not do certain things, not because it was necessarily a bad thing to do, but because they didn't want what they were doing to negatively affect their witness. They didn't want to participate with everyone else, even though necessarily what they were doing wasn't wrong, or, or they could go and, and maybe not drink while their friends drink, but because they know what the event was going to be and that it was going to be a party that they've chosen not to go because they don't want their testimony to be lessened before their friends. They want their friends to see that Jesus is real and their life is different because of Jesus. Those are powerful things that I, I, I marvel at when our students share that. And I think sometimes our students, we, we look at our teenagers and we're like, man, if you could only just get to here, if you could only just get to this level, then I will see you as an adult. Then I will see that you really believe in Jesus, etc., etc. But sometimes our students make the most profound statements of faith at a young age. And their testimony and their witness before their friends is more bold than we would even be willing to do. It is something that we need to recapture in our own heart that our witness and our testimonies really matter. And again, there's right ways to go about it. We can do this in a respectful and loving way that's not going to necessarily be super offensive, over-the-top offensive. But we also have to be comfortable with the fact that what we preach and proclaim is going to be offensive at some level. And I think when we choose to do that, we will see that God can use our witness during trials to leave a profound mark upon others. That it'll stand out. That it'll make a difference in people's lives. Stephen's testimony of him preaching the good news, of sharing about Jesus, of not rebuttaling it, of not, like, not backing down and giving in to the trial, of standing firm while these accusations are being thrown at him, of choosing to choose Jesus while it was going to be dangerous, left a big impact. And I want to talk about that in two ways, well, three ways. The first is this. For the church, Stephen is the first martyr in the Christian church. And it signaled the change for the church to move beyond the borders of Jerusalem to start sharing the gospel message with the rest of the world. And we'll read about that in the coming chapters in Acts. But from here on in Acts, we will begin to see the disciples start to spread out and share the gospel with non-Jewish people. And really, we see the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, start to come to Jesus time and time again repeatedly, and it's an amazing thing, but it happens because of Stephen. 
Stephen's impact, his choosing to live out his witness, even to his last breath, signals that. Secondly, and we read about how all these people who are about to go and stone Stephen, they go and they lay their coats at the feet of Saul. And Saul witnesses Stephen's murder. And in fact, he's actually approving of it and overseeing it in this chapter. But he recounts the tale in Acts 22 verse 20, saying saying this, And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. First Saul, eventually Paul, this stood out as a big deal. This stood out in his memory that someone was willing to die for Jesus. And it left a lasting impact upon Saul than Paul. And I think for many others it left a great impact And I think this is one of the things that sometimes we don't always see. As Christians, guys, we have to look at us sharing our testimony of us living out our witness before others as planting seeds. We're not always going to be able to see the seeds take and grow into a beautiful plant and then pop out and all of a sudden people will start living out their faith. Like Stephen, he planted a seed in Saul. But he didn't get to see it come to fruition. But it did. And for us, when we share our testimony, it can be really discouraging to share Jesus with someone and to have it not go well. And then for us to leave being like, man, alive, I shouldn't have said anything. But we have to also trust that it's not just our words. It's not just what we say. God is going to use it and multiply it in big ways. And sometimes those seeds that we plant take a while for them to come to fruition, for them to really land on good soil. And sometimes it takes multiple conversations from multiple people for people to really have their eyes opened to Jesus. We just have to be faithful in the midst of it all. Are you willing, like Stephen, to be faithful to choose to stand by your witness and your testimony even when sometimes it doesn't look like you're making a difference? Are you willing to choose to live for Jesus in situations and places where it's hard to do so, where the cost of it will be great, and that you're willing to trust that it is going to be a future thing, something that you don't necessarily get to harvest? You don't get to see them become a Christian. Are you willing to be faithful like Stephen? And finally, the last thing that we see that Stephen's testimony left an impact on is continuing to be God's church. The martyrdom of Stephen signaled for many Christians thereafter the fact that we, and not necessarily here in North America, we face our own type of persecution, and it can be hard, and it can be dangerous at times, but for the most part, the persecution that we face is nothing like the rest of the world. But Stephen signaled to many Christians and Christians everywhere that our testimony matters and that we can choose to stand for Jesus even in the midst of dangerous situations, even in the face of possible martyrdom. One article from 2018 stated that Iran has one of the fastest growing underground church movements in the world. 
Another article from 2019 reported that China arrested over 5,000 Christians and 1,000 church leaders in that year and was demolishing church buildings, and yet Christianity was still growing. In those examples, the people being counted may or may not have been Christians in the New Testament sense, but the point is the same. There was growth despite strong opposition and persecution. The Christian church has always faced persecution. And whenever persecution is, is really bad, for some reason God uses it to allow the church to just explode, to continue to grow, and to continue ha- to have one of the biggest impacts ever. Because how much of a witness is it that you are willing to die for your faith? That you're willing to choose Jesus in the midst of this life and to trust that Jesus will be there in the life to come after this life. That is a powerful testimony. And we in North America don't necessarily have that opportunity in the same respect as many other places do, where we could go to jail for our religion and our faith. But we also have an opportunity where our witness will matter in big ways. Where when we choose to live for Jesus, that it will cost things. And I think one of the biggest ways that our witness and our statement can really have an impact on others is when we choose Jesus, even when it is going to cost us things. When we choose Jesus and the way of Jesus, and that means that we have to live sacrificially. And we have to choose to not do certain things or to live with our finances a certain way, to live our life a certain way, that it says that I choose Jesus in this life, not just the life to come. That I'm going to sacrifice now because this part of life, here and now, is only a blimp. It's only a small portion because the life to come is everlasting. People in our life, the people that we look up to as Christians, the ones that we look at and we're like, man, if I could only be like them, they have a powerful witness and testimony. For me, it's my sister and my brother-in-law. They, for all of their life, have continued to choose Jesus time and time again. In the midst of hard, hard situations, they have chosen Jesus. They have chosen to continue to trust God when it's not easy in their life. When things aren't going well, they have continued to choose Jesus and to trust him and to live their life by his will. And that, for me, as a young man, has continued to be a powerful testimony of how, as Christians, we are called to live. And I think we all have people that we look up to in that same respect. People that we look at and say, man, when I grow up, I want to be like that person. There are people all around us that have a profound witness upon our life. And it's easy just to focus on that. But there are people who are looking at you and you have the opportunity to leave a profound witness on their life as well. Your witness, your testimony, your life, how you choose to live it matters. There are people always watching. And how you choose to live can leave a lasting impact. And so that really is my final point. Are you choosing daily to live as a witness? Are you living, are you a living witness with your life?
Are, are you willing to say something with your life that matters? Because we're always saying something with our life. It, it doesn't matter what it is that we can be saying this thing, that we really love cars, we really love watches, or, or we really love uh, board games. Um, that's personal. But we could like... <laughs> But we could, like, what are we actually saying with our life? Because we're saying something. Are you willing to say Jesus with your life? Before others, before your family, before your friends, before your co-workers, before the random people on the street? Are you walking in the way of Jesus? Secondly, are you allowing God to work through you? Are you actually inviting him to use your life to speak through you, to use you as a witness before others. It is a mindful choice that you have to make. And in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it says this, are you willing to give a reason for the hope that lies within? Are you willing to do so? But it continues in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, not just to say that you need to leave to live a witness before others, but that we need to do so with gentleness and respect. The words we choose to share Jesus with matters. We need to do it in love and respect. And finally, are you willing to let God be your wisdom and give you words? It can be tough and challenging to talk with people and to share Jesus with them. It can, it can be, I, I don't want to undersell it because I know it can be very tough and challenging. It, it can be incredibly hard to do so. But are you willing to actually trust that God will give you the words? I find often that I can get so caught up in my head that I'm so nervous and and so stressed out about talking to this person about Jesus that I just kind of shut down and, and don't say anything. Because I don't know if I have all the words. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to hurt them. But really, I'm not exercising enough faith in that moment that God could actually use me, that he could give me the words I need to say, that he can provide the wisdom that I need that, so that I can actually share him properly. And again, we do that very actively by praying and inviting the Holy Spirit to use us. So like Stephen, we need to be willing to be witnesses. We need to be willing to actually allow our life to speak for something and to allow it to speak for Jesus And we need to be ready to do so with gentleness and respect and love. And to stand firm even in the midst of the toughest of storms. I think one of the worst things that we could possibly do, and, and I often at the end of my day will reflect on how the day went and what kind of happened and transpired. And I think far too often, like the disciples in the boat, I, I didn't stand the test right. At least the way that I think God was calling me to do so. I chose to back down. I chose to kind of start crying out and being like, God, where are you? God, where are you? I don't know where you're at. I can't do this on my own, God, so I'm just not going to do it. But I think like Stephen, when we face those storms in life, when we face hardships and, and, and really difficult times, when things come at us, like Stephen, we can choose to be faithful and trust that he's going to use us that he's going to make a lasting impact with others. So one last time, God is not only with us in the storms of life, he's definitely with us. Stephen's story affirms that. Time and time again in his story, we see markers of how God is showing up in big ways. 
So God is not only with us in the storms of life, but God can also use our witness during trials to leave a profound mark upon others. Today we have an opportunity with Communion Sunday. Maybe this message has highlighted something for you, especially in the way of like, God, maybe I haven't really been living for you in the way that you were calling me to live. Or maybe even right now, maybe there's something that's going through your mind of, of some sort of sin that you've been struggling with. And, and as we get to communion, it can be kind of hard to have these burdens, to have these things upon us, and, and to, in the right mind, take communion. To celebrate Jesus' life and death, knowing that he didn't really stay dead. That he rose from the grave. And that he's calling us into this new life. And so... Right now, I want to give you guys an opportunity to prepare your hearts for communion, to ready your mind, and to invite him into it, knowing that our God is a forgiving God, that our opportunities in this life are numerous and unending. We have many opportunities to share and be a witness. And so I encourage you, if you are thinking of an opportunity, opportunity that you've had in the last week or month where you feel like you just blew it, that you could have shared Jesus with someone. Know that God loves you, that he's not mad at you, that he's not an angry God at all, that he forgives you, that he loves you, and that he is willing, still willing, to use you this day and the rest of the days of your life. So I want to read this, but as I do, I want to invite the worship team to come up, and I encourage you to just close your eyes. Take this as an opportunity to prepare your heart. So after I read this, we're going to sing a song. And again, I encourage you, if you want to stand and sing these these lyrics and worship God, I encourage you to do that. But if you need some more time to pray or maybe to reach out to someone and, and make things right, I encourage you to do that as well, whatever you need this time for. Jesus said, Come to me, all you that are weary. And are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled.